Hey there, and welcome back to Take One, the podcast that brings you just one delectable page of Talmud a day. It's morning as I'm recording this, and I've just had a delightful breakfast. Let me tell you about it. Two jammy eggs, not hard-boiled, but not too runny either, a slice of good bread, lightly toasted, some trina I'd made using only lemon juice, never water, and a few ripe tomatoes, halved and sprinkled with a light dusting of pink Himalayan sea salt. Why am I telling you all this? Because today's page, Tanis 26, begins by exploring the connection between stomach and soul. Here's the Mishnah, which begins in the previous page. The Mishnah teaches, An incident occurred in which the court decreed a fast in Lod, and when rain fell, they ate and drank, and afterward they recited Halil. The Gemara asks, And let us recite Halil at the outset without delay. Why did they first go home and eat? Abaya and Rava both said, Because one recites Halil only on a satisfied soul and a full stomach. Consequently, it is preferable to return home to eat and drink so as to recite Halil in the proper frame of mind. Amen to that. The Halil is the prayer of thanksgiving. And our rabbis were no monks. They realized that it was one thing to mutter off a quick thank you while the tummy gurgled and the mind wandered to the dinner table. It was another altogether to say it on a stomach full of chicken or fish or meat and vegetables and rice and tea and wine. The soul is satisfied when the stomach is full, which is just about as profound a bit of Jewish wisdom as I'd ever heard. And a few living humans honor it as deeply and truly as Dorothy Kalins, founding editor of Sever magazine and the author of a new book, The Kitchen Whisperers, Cooking with the Wisdom of Our Friends. It's her account of what she's learned about cooking, about living, about loving, from watching not only some of the world's most celebrated chefs, but also people who aren't famous at all, but dear and wise. It's one of the most soulful books I'd read in a long time and an invitation to keep it soulful in the kitchen and outside of it. Pay attention to what you eat and you'll be enticed to keep that level of passion and commitment and gratitude even once the dishes have been cleared. I interviewed Dorothy for an upcoming episode of our other podcast, Unorthodox, but our conversation was just too perfect not to feature as we pondered today's duff. Have a listen. Dorothy Kalins, thank you so much for being our guest. I'm very happy to be here. I got to tell you, The Kitchen Whispers, Cooking with the Wisdom of Our Friends. I don't remember a book that has left me feeling quite so moved and warm and just cheerful and optimistic about the human condition. How dare you? (laughs) Yeah, especially in the middle of a pandemic. Right. Hope. Mm-hmm. My task right now is very difficult because the book is so dense with amazing anecdotes and I just feel like sitting everyone down and, and having you read basically the whole thing. But I want to try and make sense of it in the following way. So I want to start with a confession. I wake up every morning and among the first, if not the first thought that I have is, what am I going to cook for dinner? And then I go through my head, like, where will I go for the ingredients and how will I prepare it? And I imagine the process. And This is something that I haven't shared with anyone, honestly, because it felt weird. It felt obsessive, compulsive, and and kind of strange. And then I read your book, 
And there it is. I'm doing the same thing. Cooking as a thinking theory. Yes. Tell me all about it. Walk me through it. Make me feel better about myself. There are many things that I would like to change about myself and my life, but that particular obsession I have made peace with because I think that we plot out our days, and especially in pandemic time, we have to figure out how we have get the access to the things that we make our meals from. It's not exactly easy. Even now, it's not exactly easy. But I think I've been doing this for decades. And I think what it does is it gives a kind of shape to my life. And it makes me feel maybe it's self-nurturing. It gives me some confidence that I, I know where I'm going. Okay, I have these meetings, I have this thing, but then I have lunch and then I have dinner. And I kind of know that those are posts in the ground and that will allow me to carry on. And so let's play a version of uh, Inside the Actor's Studio. Let's call this Inside the Great Cook's Studio. Walk us through what a thought process focused on a meal looks like to you. For example, yesterday morning, not this morning, because this morning I was worried about you, but uh, (laughs) yesterday morning I bought at the farmer's market last week these adorable little butternut squashes, and they were on my mind yesterday morning when I woke, and I thought, oh, well, my friend David Tannis has a recipe in a couple of New York Times a week ago or two weeks ago for uh, butternut squash pie. Okay, then I think, but I'm not a pie baker and I don't make pie crust. But then I remembered that I had in the bottom of my freezer. And that's why you have to do this kind of, I go through my provisions in my head. And it is a little nutty. I kind of agree with you, but it's kind of the way we put together the the shape of our lives. So I thought, oh, I have those frozen pie crust shells. They've probably been there a year and a half. (laughs) Who knows? But I said, Okay, then I need some greens. So when we went to the market yesterday, I got some turnips with beautiful greens and I got some radishes with beautiful greens. And I thought, okay, those will be the greens, even though David wanted me to use something a little stronger like kale or collards or something. I thought I'm going to use what I what I have. And I that's what I made last night for dinner. And it was and I could carry that with me the whole day. And it was a kind of way of providing for the family and and doing that. So I guess it's reassurance. You know, innate in this story, as in this truly wonderful, wonderful book, is the notion that even though this thought process may appear kind of strange and maybe even solipsistic, it is innately connecting you to other people. Here you are, you're not just thinking about the butternut squash or the turnip, you're thinking of David Tannis, your friend, the great former chef of Chepanese and currently in the New York Times writer. And so much of this book is about how our relationships are shaped by the things we observed others do. So I don't want to spoil the fun. There is so much richness in this book, and there are so many heroes of mine, including David Tannis, including Marcel Hazan, including Michael Solomonov, that you bring to wonderful life. But but give us a taste, an amuse-bouche, if you will, uh, of, <laughs> of some of these amazing, amazing characters and, and the very simple yet deeply profound things that they taught you. I have been a magazine editor my whole professional life. And then after I left Newsweek, which was my last magazine post after 9-11 and two wars, I decided to go back to food because I had found the magazine Sever. And I found that very nurturing. So what I wound up doing was to produce cookbooks with some wonderful, wonderful people. 
And I learned from them. I was no fool. I mean, not only was I serving the need of the project that I was working on, but I was learning from them. I mean, just from as basic as when we were doing a book with Michael Anthony, who is the executive chef at Gramercy Tavern, Michael spread a dish towel on the counter, dampened it a little bit, and then put his cutting board on top of it. I thought, duh, that is such a rewarding thing to learn how to do. And I think, in a way, it's almost a little bit like prayer. You, you make a place a sacred place and you're going to, this is, this is intentional. It's not just slapping things together and throwing them in a pot. And the little things you learn are as important as the complicated cooking techniques and it changes and informs your approach to making dinner. So one last question. Um, what do you think would be the kind of one bit of wisdom of cooking wisdom that you hope people would remember you by? I think it's to recognize the people in their lives they've learned from. I think we're not aware of the grandmother telling us to wash the lettuce three times. I think they're not aware of the first time they saw something done in a way that made sense to them that they could replicate in their own. I think there's a kind of continuity and gratitude that comes from the way we've learned. I mean, we don't have to learn from necessarily older people. We can learn from younger people, too. We can learn anywhere. It's just that we're always learning and to recognize and be grateful for those lessons. Dorothy Kalins, this book has brought me such joy, and I hope it does to uh, everyone listening to us now as well. Thank you so much for being our guest. Well, you're wonderful. Thank you so much. For more of this conversation, tune in to Unorthodox, available wherever you get this and other fine podcasts. And may your stomach always be full and your soul always satisfied. This has been Take One, a production of Tablet Studios. If you enjoy this show, and I hope you do, please go and rate and review us on iTunes or whatever platform you use to listen to podcasts. Each week, we'll be releasing new episodes Monday through Friday, covering the entire weekly portion of Dafyomi. I'm your host, Leah Liebowitz, and our producers are Josh Cross, Sarah Fredman-Ader, and Robert Scarmuccia, with help from Quinn Waller. For more information, go to tabletmag.com slash take one or email us at takeone at tabletmag.com. You could find us on Twitter at takeonedafyomi or join our Facebook group by searching for Take One Podcast. I hope we've made your day a little bit more Talmudic and we'll see you again soon. <laughs>